0: This week on the Ivy League Hoops Hour, we salute the 2022 Ivy League Tournament champion, Yale Bulldogs.
1: Welcome to our 2022
2: Ivy Madness Championship Edition. And I am thrilled to join my co-host, Lawrence, what do you think of that championship game?
0: That was a classic, coach. An instant classic.
2: Fantastic game. 66-64 came down to the final possession. Princeton comes storming back behind a pair of Jalen Llewellyn threes. But let's not overlook the Bulldogs' defense. Azar Swain making huge shots. And essentially, James Jones playing the game that he wanted to play in terms of a defensive-minded, grind-it-out-in-your-face approach to the Tigers' totally slowed them down and got the big stop. Jalen Llewellyn probably had a pair of shooters wide open on that baseline drive at the end, but credit the Bulldogs for forcing him into a turnover. And Yale, the second seed in the Ivy Madness Championship, goes through improbably as the Tigers were a dominant team all year long, but Lawrence couldn't find the answer In two out of three games against the Yale Bulldogs. John Solomon, our chief in-game correspondent, was at the championship game. John, what did you make of it? Two
3: things that I noticed defensively for the Bulldogs. Yale was really, really aggressive going over screens. And they were physical one-on-one while keeping their hands it seemed like hands were wider on defense than a team might normally tell their players to be so that while they were garden guys they could also disrupt Princeton's post activity are those fair observations you're the coaches
2: yeah I mean don't sell yourself short you're dead on and when you're talking about four perimeter players for the Tigers who've individually made 63s or more, You have to commit to guarding the three-point line, and it sounds simple. I think it it is simple. It's not easy, and I credit Yale, uh, James Jones, and the staff for fully committing to guarding the three-point line, just as you said, attacking the Tigers and forcing them to put the ball on the deck, but doing so in a way where they don't foul as well. It was outstanding and uh Yale holds the Tigers to sixty four points, which ties for their season low. The only other team that was able to accomplish that was Monmouth. And Monmouth beat the Tigers pretty decisively earlier in the season. So uh in a game that
3: Tosan didn't
2: play. Fair enough. You know, I thought Tosan was obviously his usual unguardable self. The kid was brilliant, but the story of the day certainly was defense, the fact that it was you know, a game in the 60s, and the fact that Yale guarded the three-point line so very well. You mentioned Yale doing this without
3: fouling. I thought this might finally be the game where the Tigers' poor free-throw shooting did them in, but Tosan went four for five out the line. However, he was the only Princeton player to get to the stripe.
2: I mean, absolutely amazing, and it wasn't lost on me as you take in the game and you absorb it and you see how gutsy the Bulldogs played. I'm just talking here as as we're all buddies and, and love the league and see what we see. My eyes don't lie to me, folks. Yale thinks they're better than Princeton every day of the week. I mean, there's just a confidence there and a swagger and a belief, and it's showing up because it seems to me that All season long, Princeton looked like an NCAA tournament team, apart from two out of three games that they played Yale. You know, Yale was definitely the better team
3: over those 120 minutes. They were definitely the better team on Sunday, and they are your deserving Ivy tournament champions. You mentioned gutsy, Azar Swain's shot selection sometimes will give his coaches heartburn, but he is a bad man, and he made some huge gutsy buckets down the stretch couple of those just what, what 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 can you do right
2: right i mean he's dribbling to a spot and elevating and fading away i mean it's it's ridiculous but he's been known to do that on my little bit of a rant i didn't allow myself to get to the fact that james jones talked about their defense as being one of the things that he was so proud of actually beyond uh the love and affection that he has for his guys and and their character Defense was the one thing he talked about in the press conference after the game. So there was clearly a focus on we are going to guard these guys. We're going to show them what we're about on the defensive end. And then we're going to figure things out offensively. They're always an inside-out team. They've always looked for post-touches. They utilize Matt Noling expertly during conference play in terms of his ability to post against twos and threes in the league. I think they pulled everything together to make it happen. And I have to say, coaching-wise, James Jones, he really earned his money this year. I, ha- I mean, it, it has to be said because I've seen better Yale teams and I've seen more complete Yale teams. And I say that respectfully. And he'll, he'll tell you, he didn't have all his guns. They weren't healthy all the time. They relied on freshmen down the stretch. This was a different look than they've looked like in championship years past. But the common theme here is, oh, by the way, 2022, the Bulldogs are going to the dance as well. Uh, Impressive coaching, I I have to say. Will, thank you for joining us. Uh, I know that you've had a ball at Yale I know you've had a ball working for the Yale Daily News and all that you've been exposed to, but we have to think that your experience covering the Yale men's basketball team has been a highlight of your undergraduate experience. Just your initial reflections on Yale, James Jones, Azar Swain, Jalen Gabadon winning the 2022 Ivy Madness. Talk to us, man. How are you feeling?
4: You're totally right. Covering Yale has been a highlight of my Yale experience. You know, I tell people it's been, you know, my favorite part about going to Yale is being able to write for the Yale Daily News and cover men's basketball. And this weekend was was sort of the, the peak of that experience, I think. It was two really, really great games of basketball at Leviti's Pavilion. I thought the atmosphere was awesome. It was tense. It was nerve wracking. And Yale sort of led almost the entire game in both games. And just to sort of see Azar and Coach Jones and sort of everyone on the team be able to have that moment, especially after it was just ripped away from them and ripped away from a really good team in March 2020, seeing them sort of close it out against Princeton and have that moment was really special for me and for everyone in the Yale community and just sets up an even more exciting week this week in Milwaukee.
2: Without a doubt, and we'll pivot to that Looming uh, game and challenging one, I would say, against the Purdue Boilermakers. But before we do, I mean, the storylines and the challenges Yale has had to overcome. We're talking about, as you alluded to, a year away from competition where they were primed to be an NCAA tournament team before the tournament was canceled by the Ivy League. A false suspension of athletic play. Azar and Jalen making a decision to come back and compete for the team this year. Tons of injuries going into 21-22. A 6-8 and start in terms of non-conference play. Uh, Jeez, I'm just rattling things off. And then a fantastic Princeton basketball team that I thought from day one looked clearly like an NCAA tournament caliber team and the unanimous player of the year and two all conference players so all kinds of things in the path of the Yale Bulldogs how did you feel reporting the journey that this team went through to overcome all of these hurdles and ultimately be the last team standing
4: yeah it's hard to you know think back I'm, I'm thinking back to late October early November because Yale was picked to finish first in the Ivy League poll when, when you take a broad you know look at the season, it's not like this is a total surprise to anyone, I think, if you think back to what people were thinking last October. But I think Yale did it in a way that people didn't necessarily expect. like you, you knew Azar Swain was going to be a fantastic player. You knew Jalen Gabadon, the reigning defensive player of the year, was going to come back and be great. You knew James Jones was going to figure something out. But I think Matt Noling and Bez and Bang. Along with sort of the the COVID pause that came right at the turn of the year, end of the non-conference, going into Ivy League play, you know, it almost was like a reset button for the team where they had a losing record going into Ivy League play for the first time in a few years. But when Bez and Matt sort of started to consistently join the starting lineup, and at the same time, EJ Jarvis, who really plays a pivotal role off the bench as Yale's big man, he missed pretty much the entire non-conference with combination of sickness and injuries. He got hit in the head at Albany, you know, a few minutes after making his first start. And so having him consistently back in the lineup during Ivy League play was really important as well. You know, I think it's funny to think, though, that they went from being the the team picked first, you know, in, in early November in the media poll. And then I think sentiment really shifted going to Ivy League play. Princeton looked incredible. People didn't think too much of Penn either, just because I think, I don't know if people appreciated how difficult their non-conference schedule was. But I don't know. I mean, I remember I listening to this podcast, which I love. And when people were talking about, you know, their picks for Ivy Madness heading into early January, I want to say Yale wasn't necessarily on there every time, but they really sort of figured things out during Ivy League play. I remember I felt the most excited maybe after their win at Brown, which was second Ivy League game of the season after their sort of delayed opener due to COVID. They had beaten Cornell by 27 at home on Saturday, and then on MLK Day, won on the road at Brown against you know what's a really talented Brown team and what I think a team that a lot of people expected to be in Ivy Madness. And, and that's where I think things, at least from my perspective, shifted. And the outlook for the team, I think, if it had changed for people in late December, opened up and got a lot more bright and optimistic again. But to be honest, I think that Yale, you, th- you know, Coach Jones, Azar, Jalen, everyone internally, you know, they have a lot of confidence in themselves. Azar has constantly said how he's had, quote, incredibly high expectations for both himself and the group. And so, you know, this wasn't a come from out of nowhere story either. And I think when Yale rushed the court on Sunday afternoon, and when Jalen found Azar, and they jumped into this embrace off by the side and joined the rest of the group, jumping in the middle, like I think you know, it, it didn't feel like a an, an unexpected win. This is what they had been envisioning, especially for Azar and Jalen taking that year off and working towards since the coronavirus abruptly changed life two years ago.
2: It's so well said. Uh Well, and I'm going to raise my hand sky high to say I was one of those folks on this podcast and just with others in conversations of saying, hey, I don't think Yale is quite the team that they've been in years past. And I think that was my eyes looking at their front court where, you know, I'm someone who's used to a Paul Atkinson and Jordan Bruner front court, if not others. I was really taken by how effective Princeton was. I looked at Yale's you know six and eight record, and will their lack of dominance in terms of rebounding. It was really informative to me to hear in our interview with Jalen Gabadon and in conversations with James Jones that they recommitted themselves to their core values, you know, midway in the season. And boy, did they look like a different team. When they took apart Cornell the way they did at home, I was like, whoa, wait a second. There's something different going on here. When they go to Jadwin Gym and they pretty much handle the Tigers all the way through until some brilliance by Jalen Llewellyn uh, late in the stretch during that regular season game. I think you're spot on that I've forgotten many others that this was a championship expecting team. But I would say when they hit the floor, they did look different. They did, you know, need to find their rhythm. But at the end of the day, they found their rhythm. And I think that that has to do to their, you know, championship expectations, that championship DNA that you referred to, that is the way that they started this season. All that being said, now we're looking at Yale versus Purdue, and I wonder Just from your vantage point, how much you've kind of looked at Purdue, what you might think, expect from Yale, and what you've heard close to the program in terms of uh, their preparation for this NCAA tournament game that's just right around the corner.
4: I haven't looked too much at Purdue yet. We haven't written our official preview. We have a story coming out Tuesday night into Wednesday morning in the YDN. That'll be a sort of mini scouting report, what you need to know about Yale's first-round opponent, Purdue, What's interesting, though, is that Yale played at the Barclays Center last December in the Basketball Hall of Fame Invitational. They played Iona. The last game of the night, it was sort of a showcase of four different non-conference matchups. And Purdue was playing earlier in the day against NC State. And when Yale got into Brooklyn, I think I entered the gym at a similar time, everyone sort of filed into stands at the Barclays Center, players, Coach Jones, other assistants, and watched the end of this Purdue-NC State game go to overtime. And so There is sort of a moment where these two programs cross paths earlier this year, which I think is interesting. Um, Coach Jones also knows Matt Painter. They both worked with USA basketball last summer. Jones was the assistant coach on the U19 team that I think played at the FIBA world cup in Latvia. And on that roster was Purdue guard, Jaden Ivy, who is Purdue's leading scorer, first team, big 10 selection. um, And also Purdue rookie forward, Caleb first. And so, just some interesting backstory, I think, going into the matchup. Yale watched the Selection Sunday show in Boston Sunday night. They stayed in Boston before going back to New Haven. And I think that's what crossed through Coach Jones' mind when he saw Yale's name pop up on the screen opposite Purdue. In terms of preparation this week, I don't know specifically what they're doing. I think because they're playing on Friday, most likely we'll be flying to Milwaukee Wednesday and, and maybe having more intense practices Wednesday and Thursday. Monday sounded like it was going to be an off day. Tuesday, a lot of film today, you know, the day we're recording this. But I think Purdue presents, like you mentioned, and, and Jones fully acknowledged this after Yale's win over Princeton on Sunday, that Yale's starting forward, Isaiah Kelly, really isn't a five man. He's not a center. And, and Purdue has seven foot four center, Zach Edie, who Jones said, I think his quote was that Yale would need a dump truck to keep him out of the paint. And so I think the matchup there with the big man, Edie and, and Purdue forward, Travion Williams presents some an early obstacle for Yale when you're, you know, just taking a quick look at how they're gonna prepare for Friday. But March is March and I think that Azar, I'm sure, believes that he can play a career game. And Purdue, I think, plays in a similar way to in some ways to Princeton too, from what I understand, where Princeton obviously has Tosan Awoma, Ivy League player of the year, who can score at the rim and also dish it out to three-point shooters. Purdue has these, you know, two great big men and also is a really strong three-point shooting team. And Yale, you know, figured something out Sunday with their defense and Princeton's sort of poor first half shooting. And so if maybe a similar formula repeats itself, there's a chance at an at upset on Friday, but we'll have to see.
2: I guess I would say Yale, when they faced off against Baylor and knocked them off, I knew how good of a team that was. I was at Fairfield and we actually played them and lost to them uh, the first game of the year. And uh, Makai Mason was an absolute handful to deal with. Uh, point guard who torched the Baylor Bears in the NCAA tournament. So I kind of knew firsthand uh, how good that team was. As I look at Yale going into this matchup against Purdue, there's a whole lot of teams who have struggled with the Boilermakers physicality in front court. So I think that's going to be a key in terms of Yale trying to unlock some kind of game plan that will help them. At the same time, Uh, I want to go back to what you said. There's championship DNA there with the uh, Bulldogs. And so I'm sure that they are expecting it to be a game. And for the sake of the Ivy League, we'd love nothing more than that to be a thrilling finish with the Bulldogs coming out on top. We'll see what happens. Before we let you go, Will, I want to turn it over to my co-host, my partner. Lawrence, what do you got for us?
0: A couple of quick hitters for you, Will. Uh, Well, Coach, this for you too. You guys are going out to Milwaukee. Now, coach, is it Culver's out in Milwaukee, or I know Culver's? A- you
2: got it, custard baby, frozen custard. Well done, uh, Lawrence.
0: Right. And uh, is that the place that also has the pot roast sandwich or the butter burger? Or-
2: that one I don't quite dabble in. That's a little bit outside my lane. But the frozen custard I was uh, well initiated in. My wife uh, Will is from the suburbs of Brookfield, Wisconsin. And so, upon me touching down and visiting her during the summers, during the off season, her parents made me fully aware of me needing to visit Culver's <laughs> and partake in the frozen custard. So, uh, make sure you sneak that in on your trip out there.
4: Yeah, I didn't realize I had that to look forward to. That's awesome.
2: You know, winning's important,
0: right? I know I made it a competition this year, um maybe to coach's annoyance of uh, winning the predictions.
2: You were the better he- man. You were the better man, no doubt.
0: <laughs> Will, do you want to do any gloating now because uh, you had the prediction and we didn't?
4: You know, I've always I, I mentioned I think the first time I went on that you know I don't love predictions. You know, I like reacting to what happens and writing about it. Predictions are tough. I take no credit. I think me being <laughs> sort of a Yale student. Just negates any any validity my prediction has. <laughs> right? um, just covering the team and sort of seeing them up close. I think anyone who's done that always knew that they had a great shot to win the Ivy League championship. And I think people are just are excited that they put together two really awesome performances in Boston last weekend.
0: A man of principle. We respect it.
4: <laughs>
2: yes, we do. And Will, I can genuinely see or envision the smile on your face as you're talking about Yale and, um, the magical season that they had. so i'm I'm happy for you. And I would also say that your humility relative to your picks has certainly ensured you getting a return call from us, okay? Whereas Lawrence's lack of humility on his picks, um i'm I may be looking for a new co-host in the off season. We'll 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 see. uh no, but I mean that sincerely. Like, like you've been an awesome contributor, a joyful one, and also, like, informed. And that's what's helped us with this show is to learn more about Yale, the insides and outs, and your support of the team, but also your support of the Ivy League has been really cool. And uh, we appreciate you uh, being on the show. How about this? We'll give you the final words. Anything you want to share or that we didn't cover or anything you want to talk about with this uh, game coming up?
4: I'll say just that one thing that's crossed through my mind recently is taking a look at how Yale did against high major opponents this season. Seton Hall, Auburn, St. Mary's, they really struggled against high major opponents this season. And and that's a different story than two years ago when they beat Clemson, barely lost to UNC, Oklahoma State, Penn State. And so I think that maybe changes people's expectations for what they sort of might be able to do in the first round. But I'll say that the big caveat to that, too, is look at how well... Bez and Bang played on Sunday. Yeah. Look at how well Matt Noling played this weekend on the all-tournament team. Both of them, and also EJ Jarvis, who was injured, really didn't play any significant minutes in a lot of those big games, save for St. Mary's, which is when Nolan and Bang made their first career starts. But I think that's just the, the interesting change to the lineup and big change from Yale's non-conference and conference slate is their presence and their ability to impact the game. And so if anyone's counting Yale out based on those sort of non-conference losses fair, but but also I think there's, there's a chance that this team going up against a high major opponent with Embang and Noling and Jarvis really in the mix for the first time, looks a lot different than Yale did at Seton Hall, at Auburn.
2: Really well said, Will. Lawrence and I might not be the sharpest knives in the drawer, but we've learned enough to listen to Will McCormack. So Will, from the Yale Daily News, duly noted, really good point. Have fun traveling out there. Go Bulldogs. And thanks once again, Will, for joining us on the Ivy League Hoops Hour.
4: Thank you both. It's been awesome to get to know you guys this season and be able to come on the podcast. And best of luck with your brackets.
0: Our next guests are Casey Bartley and Andrew Ledman from HammerAndRails.com, here to give us some insight into the Purdue Boilermakers. gentlemen. Welcome to the pod. Thank you for having us. Yeah, good to be here. For our listeners who haven't followed the Boilermakers closely this season, who are the difference makers on Purdue?
1: Well, the tall guys, first of all. Right. Seven foot, uh, seven foot four, Zach Eady. Trey Williams, backup center. You're gonna have forty minutes of very good center play. And then the guy who's always falling down really hard. Right. Yes. The guy who you're gonna
5: you're gonna see. You remember that scene in the in uh, Wedding Crashers where they're playing football and Vince Vaughn's character always winds up on his butt. Uh, that's going to be Jaden Ivey. Uh, he's going to drive to the lane. He's going to do it a lot. And he's going to wind up on his hip, on his back. And he's likely not going to get a foul called uh, on the opponent. But he'll at least want one uh, and look to the officials for it. But he's pretty darn good.
0: Uh, that's all right. You know, if you don't ask for them, you don't get them. So. <laughs> that's right,
5: yeah. He he yeah. plays by street ball rules. So uh, you yeah.
1: know, if he could call his
5: own fouls, he'd be at the free throw line about 20, 30 times a game.
0: What, in your eyes, are the dangers that Yale presents in this matchup?
1: Well, Swain is a shot maker. I've been impressed with the tape I've seen of him, Um, his ability to hit mid-range, tough off-balance shots. That Ivy League championship game was pretty impressive on his part. Purdue has struggled with ball-dominant guards who can make shots, and if I'm looking at anything that scares me, it's definitely that.
5: Yeah, I mean, I was going to say the same thing. Purdue has really struggled at times this year, not only with ball dominant guards, but really just with perimeter defense in general. And it doesn't even have to be against the team that makes their money at the three point line. It seems like every game, Purdue has a, a guy from the opponent who just goes off from three point land, uh, including, um, I think, I can't remember if it was against Iowa or if it was against Penn State. Purdue had a guy who'd missed his last like 33 pointers and he hit two in a row coming right in against Purdue. So that's the kind of luck Purdue seems to have on the perimeter. So that, that always worries me regardless
1: of the
0: opponent. What would you say was Purdue's best win this season?
1: Probably the Illinois one. Yeah, I was going to say the second Illinois game. Uh, We dominated them at home, 84-68. You could argue non-conference win against Villanova is probably the best on paper. They're the highest seed that we've beat. Uh, That was a good come from behind game where we really showed our depth, but late season Purdue struggled a lot. And pretty much that Illinois game was the one game where everything was flowing. We put up 84 on them and pretty much since then uh, we've, We've managed to win some games, but <laughs> none of them very pretty.
5: Yeah, I mean, the Villanova game is definitely the best non-conference win, and as Casey said, probably the best on paper. Um, it's probably the one that the selection committee looked at and liked the most, but as far as the most enjoyable win and the one that kind of gave Purdue fans an idea of maybe what this team was going to be was definitely that Illinois game because Purdue just came out in the second half and dominated a team that... Um, obviously, wound up winning the Big Ten, but also Purdue had played earlier and had to go to double overtime to defeat them, um, and then just absolutely blew their doors off in the second half. So that gave us a lot of hope as to how the rest of the season was going to go. Uh, but unfortunately, Purdue really hasn't matched that level of play since that game.
3: Conversely, what happened in the game at Michigan on Ten. that just that stands out looking, <laughs> looking at the at the schedule as a whole that's a real outlier
1: if, if you'll notice the amount of games we had to play because of Michigan's uh, covid scare and they kind of moved that game back into our schedule i believe lemme correct me if i'm wrong i believe it was 27 straight days that our players either had a game or practice i think no it was 20 I, I think it was 23 okay 23 so that was right in the crux of that And that team had just gotten back from blowing out Illinois, Uh, had a tough game. Michigan at home before then, they just didn't have their legs. They were tired and things just didn't go right for them. They were missing open shots. Michigan was making everything. And just it felt like just a bunch of tired 18 to 22 year olds who had a really bad night on the road.
5: Yeah, it was kind of just the perfect storm of everything really went wrong for Purdue in that game. Um, They were missing shots that they would normally make. And as Casey said, Michigan was just hitting everything. Um, Not long ago, I I remember seeing a tweet of somebody uh, talking about how, you know, the predicted shot outcome showed that that game really should have been about a one point game, but Michigan hit everything and Purdue hit nothing. So it just made the game so lopsided, even though Uh, It really wasn't supposed to be that way based on just the shooting that you saw.
3: Yeah, I don't care what team you are. Winning five games in 11 days, that's uh, a bit much to expect. I've been very impressed with everything I've seen from Purdue this season. And it seems like of the teams on that seed line, it might be the most difficult matchup for Yale.
1: That's probably right, because what I've seen of your guys' team, Yale's very small. Uh, I believe you have two six eight guys and one six seven. Uh, your heaviest guy looked like he's about two twenty, and well, Zach Eadie's like two twenty in his left thigh. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, they're they're a strong team and a physical team, but they're not a tall team.
1: Uh, Zach Eadie, you know, he finished the season number one offensive rebounder in the country. Pretty absurd stats on the offensive rebound. He's grabbing one out of every five misses when he's on the floor. And Trey Williams isn't far behind him. So if there's, there's obviously a talent disparity, but that size relentlessly for 40 minutes a game is one of our biggest strengths against anyone. So it would be impressive if Yale is able to overcome that size with that few big bodies and not get in foul trouble.
3: I would also imagine playing 10 different guys, 13 minutes or more. Is another strength that Purdue brings to the table. No, no, and
5: no. Casey and I, so Casey and I uh, have a bit of a dis, not disagreement, I guess, but uh, there are players on Purdue's team that, even though you are correct, we we do have ten guys who go out there. Uh, Casey and I both agree that uh, Isaiah Thompson, who is our backup point guard, needs to be playing less, uh, much, much less. Uh, Just he's he's such a small guy not really a big build and he just gets beat on defense a lot. And if he's not hitting threes, he's not really giving much to the team, but you are correct. I mean, Purdue does have 10 guys. They run out there. And as Casey said earlier, that was really one of the ways we won that Villanova game is because Purdue went 10 deep. And as the game wore on in the second half, Purdue still had their legs and their energy. Whereas Villanova, I think only played really seven guys uh, and, and really wore down as the game wore on. So It is a strength for Purdue, but we hope that Purdue truly doesn't run out 10 guys in these much more important NCAA tournament games.
1: To put it in perspective, Isaiah Thompson, in the last six games, he's a point guard. He has zero points and zero assists in six games. And and he's played
5: in those games. I mean, it's not as if he was a he was a did not play, coach's decision or injury. I mean, he's getting generally double digit minutes in those games, uh, and hasn't scored and hasn't had an assist. And if you're a point guard and those are your stats, it is not looking good for you.
3: And you're telling me that Dartmouth standout turned. Purdue transfer Evan Boudreaux does not have a ninth year of eligibility. He's not going to show up on the floor this week. <laughs> not that I know
5: of. Uh, I think he he maybe is out doing some dinosaur bone hunting. I, I
3: can't
1: believe he had better things to do with his life. It really <laughs> like all he had going for him was basketball. Yeah,
5: yeah. Not that that family money or anything. And that the dinosaur bones. He's got other stuff, I guess.
0: Take a look at the bracket. How many Big Ten teams are going to make it to the Sweet Sixteen?
5: Oh man.
1: Hopefully, one. <laughs> uh,
5: if I had to just guess, I would say three
1: Illinois, Purdue, Wisconsin. Yeah. I definitely think two. I think Wisconsin has an easy draw. And yeah. I think Purdue is talented enough to get there. I was obviously talented enough, but they scare me a little bit. I'm going to just say two. Do you guys have any Matt Painter stories? Uh, you have a really good one about uh, Levin about him. Paying for the paint crew. Oh yeah, so uh,
5: the paint crew is like the uh, Big Ten men's basketball student section, and during my time at Purdue, um, I was the vice president, and my buddy uh, was the president at the time. So one of the things that I was in charge of was planning road trips to these away games, and we basically we found out when we uh, became president and vice president that the paint crew had this like big stash of money in the bank that they just were not using, and they were just letting sit there. And we were like, why aren't we spending this money? And they're like, well, it's really hard to, you know, go through the process. And they deny a lot of things. And we're like, yeah, we'll figure it out. So we spent just like tons of money. And at a certain point, our advisor was like, okay, that's enough. You got to stop spending the money. So we we're like, okay. But then there was like a game. I want to say it was Penn State, but I can't remember. Penn State. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Where Purdue had a chance to clinch the Big Ten title. And we were like, oh man, we'd really like to go. And Painter just, like, came and talked to us one day, and he's like, hey, you guys going to the, the Penn State game? We could really use some fans. And we're like, no, you know, we just – our advisor says we just can't really spend the money. He goes, oh, don't worry. I'll take care of the money. We're like, what? He goes, yeah, I'll pay for it. It's fine. He goes, just just tell my secretary. And we're like, What? And so we'll, we like walk away and we talk to our advisor and she goes, I mean, he's allowed, it's his money. He can do what he wants. So it was like, we just reached out to his secretary and she's like, oh yeah, he told me about this. I'll go ahead and take care of it. Just l- send me the bills. To lead ate lobster all the way on. the <laughs> yeah. Bus trip. To <laughs> yeah. So we rented a big party bus. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it was just one of those things where he, Painter really is a genuinely nice guy in all my interactions with him. Um, you know, he really does care about the students and he cares about the players, maybe to a fault. You know, he cares more about that than he does winning, which is not to say he doesn't care about winning because obviously he wants to win. But, you know, you've, you've seen him really care about the players becoming good men. And of course, we'd love the national titles, but it's really great to have a guy like Painter representing Purdue.
0: That's awesome. And it's really great to hear. I appreciate you guys sharing that. Before we let you go, it's time for predictions. Predictions, Pat. How do you see this weekend playing out?
1: I think the line is like 15 and a half The first That's, time I saw, for that, that seems game. outrageous. I, I, I'm not allowed to get too optimistic on our podcast. Yeah, bad things happen. But the one thing that I would be worried about is if Yale ran more of like a Princeton style offense, where everyone's on the move, pass and ball, hard cuts. But it seems from what I've seen, they're more of a do it off the dribble. You guys have one of the lower assist to field goal makes. Uh, in the country, and that's just not the way to operate against Purdue. And those big guys are big. So I think they're going to win something like 85 to 60 in the first game. And then Purdue's going to have to uh, take on the ghost of their past Texas in the second game. And I think think they'll get by, but that one's going to be very scary for every Purdue fan. Chris Beard, their coach has knocked Purdue out twice now at two different schools. So this would be his third opportunity to do it. As you can tell there, Casey
5: is more of the optimist for basketball season on our podcast. And so, I mean, I I do think Purdue takes care of business and defeats Yale. I am not optimistic. What did you say, 85 points? 85-60. There's absolutely no chance Purdue scores 85 points, I don't think.
1: Lobster dinner, you're paying for
5: it. There is also no chance of that happening. (laughs) Uh, I will go, uh, I think Purdue is going to walk away with a victory, but I I say 77-65. And then just like Casey, I think we're going to end up playing Texas, which if you know any Purdue fans in your life and you mention Coach Chris Beard, <laughs> they will be terrified. So uh, I just I don't know. I mean, having seen him on the opposing sideline yet again just terrifies me. But this Texas team isn't as good as those other teams. They're not as good on defense. Uh, so if if I have to make that choice right now, I'm I'm picking Purdue, and I think they'll make it to the Sweet 16.
3: Keep your eyes open for this. I think Yale has two different guys who could be the second guy to Swain who could go off. Is
1: Jarvis one of them?
3: No, I would say Gabadon and Embang, the freshman. Okay. Like one of the, was it the game at the Palestra where Gabadon went for like some outrageous total? 34 or something. Yeah. Yeah. um, Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, they can both go. And uh, I think the second prediction is a little bit closer to how I see this playing out. But yeah, if you're looking for other guys besides Swain, who he thinks he can make every shot. (laughs) <laughs> hey. he, did, he did in the championship game and and yeah i mean and some of those i mean i said when we were taping yesterday that i think some of his choices probably give his coaches heartburn but yeah. the ones that go in holy smoke
1: the one good thing is for purdue at least is our one good perimeter defender will definitely be on sway all games yeah. yeah i would imagine
5: hunter is going to be on yeah. him
1: casey bartley and andrew
0: ledman <laughs> hammer and thank you so much for joining us Thank you, guys. Thanks for having
2: us. Jalen, we're very conversational in terms of our interviews. And I also want to be respectful of your time. So kind of just uh, naturally flowing into it and jumping into it. Like, honestly, just the feeling like talk to us.
6: You know, it's really different, you know uh we went my sophomore year and i played 17 games that year and got hurt Mm -hmm. and so i was kind of a supporter from the sidelines and so i didn't think it could get any better than that but it did yeah you know when you're when you're on the court when the you know the confetti drops it's i i couldn't believe that it just happened you know i just looked around and found the first person i saw and just jumped and hugged them
2: (laughs) Who, who 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 was that do you remember
6: Azar, because Azar <laughs> was in a similar state of mind, just standing on the sidelines by himself. So we just ran at each other and just jumped in the air and like you know, we took we took a whole year off for this. So yeah, you know, it, was, it was a long time coming. You know, we should have won our junior years, we believe. Yeah, regardless of what happened with the Ivy League tournament, and so it's pretty wild. I don't think I've really internalized it yet.
2: With that emotion right there, like, are you still beaming? Are you still smiling? Are you still replaying? the championship game uh, you know are you still feeling those feelings right now
6: i would say i'm a pretty even keel guy um you could probably see it on the court sometimes mm-hmm. but so no because we have a game to win
2: yeah okay
6: okay So once the season's over we'll be able to look back reflect go through you know all the memories videos but for now we have purdue friday
2: Love it. Love it. Then let's, let's kind of reflect a little bit and then we will certainly move forward to Purdue. Was there any doubt that you guys would earn this berth when you started the season? Jalen, like where was your mindset? You and Azar and others made a tremendous sacrifice. Last year was very challenging. I can only imagine you start this season. And was there any doubt that you'd represent the Ivy League in March Madness?
6: Well, it was a roller coaster. You know, we we started off as confident as I've I've ever been. You know, it took a whole year off. Everyone was healthy. You know, and as we got to campus, there was actually a lot a large string of injuries that happened. And so guys weren't at their best. We had a little bit of a rough preseason in that sense. You know, EJ Jarvis was out for like a month and a half. Jamila Lausa, who was expected to be one of our key players, couldn't play with double hip surgery. Wyatt, who was supposed to play, you know, he decided to step away from the game. And so there was there was definitely a lot of questions going in. I was playing the power forward for the whole non-conference. I saw that, yeah. And so, you know, for me personally, like, I lacked confidence going into the Ivy League season because I hadn't played guard in six months. (laughs) You know, like, I I hadn't, you know, and then obviously we had some rotation switches and such, and, you know, we started clicking, but we definitely started very confident, you know, through the non-conference, you know, learned that this wasn't going to be as easy as a, trip through the league as we were expecting. And fortunately for us, we were able to get it together and figure out who we were as a team, you know, figure out our team identity and get it done. Yeah,
2: you certainly did. Uh, As we look at that championship game, you're dealing with a team that you guys have played so very well against over the years. What is it about your supreme confidence playing Princeton? I mean, just like pull back the veil a bit. I mean, there's no doubt that you guys have their number, and why is that?
6: I would say it's the identity. You know, obviously we had a rough non-conference, right? I mean, everyone can attest to that. And so over the COVID pause, Coach Jones had a team meeting about our culture and, you know, the values of our program and how they've been slipping. You know, we have nine new guys and 10 guys returning. And so that's a, that's a weird dynamic mm. where there's, there's some pushback, obviously, from guys who've never been here about different things that are just the norm. And so we had a team meeting, you know, about our cultures and and how this program is supposed to be. And after that, it was like night and day. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that the culture is what really sets us apart from the rest of the league. You know, recent years is that we've had exceptional culture, and it's, you know, started with probably that 15 to 16 team that went to the tournament. Right. You know, And year after year, you know, the tradition has just been passed down in that formula for success. So, you know, once we were able to revive that, you know, stick to our principles of defense first. You can win a game being hot, right? Defense travels, and defense is the most consistent thing you can do on the basketball court. And so because of that, we've been able to win a lot of tough games against really good teams over the last five, six, you know, seven years.
0: Who are the unsung heroes or what events leading up to Sunday helped to shape your team into a championship team?
6: I would say the unsung heroes of our team is everyone that you don't see on the floor. Throughout the season, you know, we have blue team and white team. Blue team is the, the guys who play, and the white team are the, you know, the bench guys. And throughout the season, the white teams kind of just kick our butt every day, <laughs> um, especially, you know, through the, some of the earlier parts of the season, we were still figuring out who we were. We we got beat by white team a lot, and they they played hard every day and, you know, and pushed us to continue to get better and, you know, figure out who we were. They could have complained, thinking that, you know, that I should play more, I want to play more, et cetera. But they came every day regardless and put their best effort out. Mike Feinberg in particular is one guy on our team who I think really embodies that. I, I have such a high opinion of him. It, it could be actually annoying at times how hard he <laughs> plays in practice. <laughs> he will get three or four offensive rebounds in a row just running the baseline. And we, we, we can't. We're, we're stuck, you know, still playing defense. And so I, I would definitely say that those are the guys who helped shape this team to who it is now.
2: What was the game plan against Princeton? Because there's lockdown defense, and then, frankly, and I, I'm just being honest with you, and then there's what you guys did, which I think is a whole nother level. Like, you dictated the pace of the game and how it was played in the championship game. What was the game plan, Jalen?
6: Princeton has the top 30 offense in the country, right? They, they shoot the ball like no other team we played this year. And so the first round of games on Saturday gave us a clue that they were going to let us play on Sunday. They were going to let us be physical. and They were going to let us dictate the physicality in the game. And so our strategy going into it was that they're going to hit shots. Like they have some of the best shooters in recent memory in the Ivy League. You know, they're going to hit shots. But if we can make them uncomfortable throughout the game with the physicality and the way, you know, the intensity we're coming at them with, that will give us a few extra misses, you know, that might have been makes in another game. And so, you know, Bez M. Bang, incredible player. You know, he's really stepped up as a first year. He's 18. You know, to guard Jalen Llewellyn and just be physical with him and make him uncomfortable with the ball because, you know, he hits shots over people like you can't really control that. But if he's not as confident coming into it because you're being physical and, you know, disrupting his rhythm, you know, you'll have a better opportunity. And so with Tosan, you know, Isaiah Kelly did a phenomenal job. You know, he's our our undersized five, (laughs) you know, and he's, you know, he's deceptively strong. And so, you know, one of the good things he does is just stay really physical with guys and make them shoot over him. You know, it's easy. It's easy with guys like Tosan, who has all the up and under moves to get you off your feet. And, you know, one of the keys with him is to stay as physical as possible on the floor before he gets there. And obviously Tosan's an amazing player and he was a player of the year, had a great game. But just being able to restrict him as much as possible and, you know, prevent him from getting his team into offense you know, preventing him from getting other guys touches in clean looks that they want, you know, was was part of our strategy. And fortunately for us, you know, they went, I think 10 for 30, just being physical and, you know, trying to disrupt their flow as much as possible, even if it means leaving Isaiah on an island sometimes, trusting him to to do his best job stopping Tosan.
2: Jalen, I'm really impressed even hearing you walk through it because one, it's it's very detailed. I can tell that you're, a leader on the floor. It was effective. But you you seem to be very conscious of what you guys are trying to do. And that's one of the things that jumped out to me this season was how whenever Yale took the floor, you guys, and and I'll say this um, certainly in in league play, if not in other games that I saw, I I watched you guys against UMass in person Uh and uh, a few other games. You guys dictate the way the game is played. You have a very clear identity of how you want to approach it. I certainly think that starts with your head coach, but that it happens. It's executed by folks like yourself and Azar. And I'm just really impressed. And now I want to meet you where you are. Let's pivot now to Purdue because right when we jumped on, you said, hey, coach, we got another game to win. Mm -hmm. So now what have you seen from Purdue? Have you guys already started watching film? What sticks out to you if you haven't started watching film? What do you know about Purdue? Mm-hmm. Take us from there.
6: Yeah, so we're gonna have our first practice on Sunday today at 415. So we haven't as a team thought about it yet. Um, we had a day off yesterday, obviously back to back. This is pretty brutal. Yeah. Um, we actually saw Purdue live at the Barclays Center when we played Iona. They were the game before us. So it, ah, what immediately okay. sticks out to us is the size. Um, right. So we've seen we've seen a lot of size early in the year at Seton Hall that game. We were something like five for 30 from three. And that's very uncharacteristic of our team right now is to shoot that many threes. And so obviously you've seen a maturity in, in how we play the game and how we approach the game. Yeah. Um, so obviously adjusting for that will be key. I think against Auburn, you know, they blocked 15 shots that game. And so, you know, having learned the lessons from a lot of those games will be key. Going coming into this game, so besides the big guys, you know, obviously Jaden Ivy sticks out. He he kind of reminds me of of Meeione a little bit, and the mm-hmm. way he plays the game, you know, maybe a little bit more agile, less powerful. So obviously, you know, stopping is gonna be key. I think you know as far as much as I've seen, you know, he kind of makes them go. He distributes the ball really well, gets down the floor, finds guys, and so don't know who's gonna be on him, whether it's gonna be me or Bez or whoever it is, but throttling him as much as possible to disrupt their flow is going to be key, similar to how we did against Princeton. They're phenomenal players. You can't really stop them, but you can make them as uncomfortable as possible and force them to take shots that are out of rhythm.
2: If I had a vote, I would go with you first, and then, uh, and then Bez. And I think both of you—you know—I was a defensive player, tried to be when I played, and uh, I'm just really impressed with with how much you give of yourself to your team. And if Bez seems to be following your lead. Let me jump to a question that's really been hanging on my mind as I think of you, Jalen. I'm a big fan of yours. I, I covered. Your games a couple years ago for ESPN, mm-hmm. I've always felt that uh, not only are you a glue guy and you're a leader, but you can hoop too. And I, you know, sometimes people forget that when you give so much of yourself defensively, you know, your 32 point outbreak against Penn this year. I mean, you you have a wide range of versatility uh, and abilities to bring to your team but now take a step back here. I know you're not done, but what has been the experience as a member of this basketball program and as a leader for this team? Could you ever imagine that you would have the career that you've had and also even off the court, what has Yale meant to you? Try to take any of those wherever you want to go with that.
6: I'll keep that to two questions. Like, you know, did I think I'd have the career I have? Definitely not. Um, when I When I first came in, you know, I was, I was a, considered a prolific scorer in high school, but you know, I broke my foot three times my first year. So oh I had goodness. two, I had two surgeries. I have a, a screw. Like, it looks like you got from home Depot like in, <laughs> in my foot. And so I missed my entire first year. And so after that, I didn't, my sophomore year, I had a lot of injuries. I broke my toe the first day of practice and I had a sports tourney later that year. And so I kind of thought that the basketball gods were kind of just against me <laughs> mm. at that point. Yeah, so yeah. I kind of lost a lot of my offensive abilities, truthfully, because I just I hadn't played basketball in like a year and a half. And so, you know, Coach Kingsley sat me down one day and told me, like, I have potential on the defensive side of the ball. I was desperate to play. I was the last one off the bench my sophomore year to start the year. And so, you know, i played as hard as I could defensively, you know, just kind of found a new love for the game, you know, because I, I kind of lost it. Inj- mm-hmm. Injuries will do that to you. And so yeah. you know, through the defensive side of the ball, I've kind of found a a love for the game again. And obviously, junior year, I stepped it up a little more. It's incredible looking back on the journey I've had to get here because for most people that I know, this was a return to form this year offensively versus me stepping up out of nowhere. You know how it goes. Like everyone's, you know, oh, you should be shooting more. You should be doing this more. You should be blah, blah, blah more. And I'm like, that that's not what we need from me. <laughs> trust me, right. trust me. Like I'm not I'm not quite the offensive juggernaut you thought I was. <laughs> um, but it, it,
2: but you're a winner, Jay. <laughs> you're a winner. You're, you're you're bringing what your team needed to win a championship. Doesn't that say uh-huh. everything?
6: It does. You know, and obviously then you come to this year and I had I took the whole year off. I got healthy. You know, I played a lot of basketball and came back. You know, I had offensive talent, but it was a balance of how much to bring on that side of the ball and how much to be continue to to put my focus and effort on defense. And so that was a that was a balancing act I, I did all year. Obviously, you know, during the Ivy League play, I was able to figure it out a little bit more. You know, I actually dealt with a right wrist injury right at the start of Ivy League play. And I physically couldn't shoot threes for five games.
2: Jeez. Right.
6: So there's a stretch where like and so I there was like a month where I didn't shoot around in practice or anything. And so all my energy was about being as focus as I could on defense and trying to help, you know, lead guys on defense because, you know, I had to adjust how I shot to shoot free throws. And so that was, you know, it's very annoying when guys sag off of you (laughs) five feet, (laughs) but like I I really couldn't do anything about it. I mean, I was shooting very good before conference play and it kind of dipped. So fortunately I've been healthy in the last week or so. And so, you know, I'll be ready come Friday, but yeah, you know, figuring that out, you know, was, was definitely a challenge. And something that, you know, I think that also Bez Mbang has helped me out a lot with as, as, you know, as kind of another lockdown defender. Some games, you know, for example, Penn, the first game against Penn, I had 20 something points. And, you know, he was able to guard Jordan Dingle because I had an offensive flow and we needed me on the offensive side of the ball more. The second game, the game plan was for me to start on Dingle and just limit him as much as possible. And it just so happened that I got hot. Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, it's been a unique experience being here because it's been a roller coaster. For the second question, what has Yale meant to me? I don't know if I could put into words how appreciative I am of Coach Jones for offering me in high school. The first time I came here, I actually hated the place so much. I I came to their elite camp and I was on a team with Tremont Waters, Walter White and Mark Carbone, which are all three D1 players. Mm -hmm. Didn't touch the ball. Coach Kingsley actually recruited me because, you know, I saw, he saw me play defense on a 6'9 guy, and that was that's kind of what got me here. But I don't know where I'd be in life without the mentorship that Coach Jones has given me. You know, like I've been in his office so many times just talking about random things. With all the the friends I made on the team, I'm very aware that, well, basketball is fun. It's going to be the team that I miss. And I'm such a different person now from when I came in. Like my worldview has just completely changed. And I don't know if I could attribute that growth to anything but the people that I met here. So I'll be forever grateful to Coach Jones. And I tell them this after almost every win. <laughs> coach Jones, like, thank you for bringing me here. <laughs> it means, That's incredible, James. It means the world that's, to me.
2: Yeah, that, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. I'm going to turn it over to my co-host to see if he has any other questions.
0: I wasn't your elite camp coach, was I? Uh, no. don't, I, I would have got your shots, me, right? No.
6: <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs>
0: <laughs> amongst ourselves and offline, we've talked about what we love about for us Princeton basketball and Ivy League basketball in general. And we've talked about, you know, it's the people involved, and like you cheer for the people. And I got to tell you, we're cheering for you, man.
6: I appreciate that a lot, especially coming from a Princeton fan. You know, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> I, I was wounded yesterday, <laughs>
0: but I'm gonna be all right. <laughs> we're pulling for you, and uh, you know, we've had it. Azar and Coach Jones on here, and so um, we're cheering for you guys.
2: Yeah, Jalen, I want to echo that. I I was blown away by Azar sharing the stories of his upbringing. Honestly, a similar impact of James Jones and Yale on him. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that's what it is there at Yale that it's a special place, a special program, and dare I say, you know, special players and student athletes. So I'm applauding you, man. I'm proud of. What you've accomplished, I've always admired it, and I appreciate you spending this little bit of time with us. Best of luck versus Purdue. Represent the league well, and uh, we'll be watching closely, Jalen. We wish you the absolute best.
6: Thank you, Coach. Thank you, guys. Appreciate
0: it a lot. It's time for our non-Ivy League nod. My nod goes to Sarah Perlman, NBC Sports studio host who survived 48 hours in a cell, excuse me, studio with none other than Coach Johnson.
2: (laughs) Well said, Lawrence. Sarah Perlman is a pro, super talented and warm-hearted, certainly a friend of mine after two full days of covering the A10 Men's Basketball Championship on USA Network for NBC Sports. We had an absolute ball with producer Mark Bellotti and the crew. And uh, Sarah was awesome and really made me feel comfortable. So you're right. She definitely gets a nod for putting up with me and being the star of our show for two days on USA Network. Like I said, it was a whole lot of fun. And we got to see Richmond get red hot and roll right into the semis and win the whole thing on CBS against Davidson. And that is a wrap for our championship edition. Ivy Madness 2022 is in the books, and we are rolling in to the NCAA tournament and the NIT. Yale and Princeton representing the league. Go Bulldogs. Go Tigers. Thank you a ton to Jalen Gabadon, the leader, along with Azar Swain and, of course, James Jones of the Yale men's basketball team. And Will McCormack, Yale Daily News, who joins us once again to report on his good feelings and good fortune. Unbelievable streak that he has going covering the Yale Bulldogs during his undergraduate career. Each and every week, I'm partnering with Lawrence L. Boogie Schuler, and we're bringing John Solomon into the mix. And we appreciate you guys joining us week in and week out on the Ivy League Hoops Hour Please let us know how we're doing and how you enjoyed the show. Write to us at Ivy League Hoops at gmail.com. Don't forget to check us out on our YouTube channel, The Ivy League Hoops Hour. And keep an eye on Twitter and Instagram as we tease content leading into the next episode. This has been an absolute ball. Check out these games, NCAA and NIT, and look for a tournament review from us next week.
0: I tuned in in the morning mm-hmm. and, you know, just cause I kind of knew you'd be there. And, uh, I think at some point, you know, I thought, you know, after the break, like they'd bring in another studio host, but like you guys are still there at like, uh, <laughs> 11 o'clock at night. Like, I also started keeping track of your predictions. And I went Bay over, to... right? <laughs> it was, it was unreal.